0: You're listening to The Jazz Session with my dad, Jason Crane.
1: Listen one, basic hip. Welcome to the Jazz Session. I'm Jason Crane. The Jazz Session is sponsored by Matt Rock, Murat Verdi, and Nicholas Payton. This is episode 360. Thanks to the Respect Sextet for the theme music to this show. They're online at respectsextet.com, and you can also buy their albums there, and you should... In fact, I think it's probably your moral duty to go and give them your money. Thanks also to Dave Vrabel, who designed the show's logo. He tweets at twitter.com slash Dave Vrabel, V-R-A-B-E-L. There's a widget for this show which displays the current episode on your website. It's free, and you can get it by going to allaboutjazz.com, and in the search box, type in jazz session widget. If you install it on your website, let me know, because I'll mention you in my newsletter— which goes out each week. You can get that by going to the jazzsession.com and clicking on mailing list. And while you're there and you're clicking on things, why don't you click on the become a member button because this show only exists with your membership support. That is literally true. It is your membership that keeps me living indoors and all that stuff, and that is how the show gets made. By the way, if you would, please review the show on iTunes. Give it uh, you know five stars if that's how you feel about it, and write a little review. Some folks have been doing that, and I greatly appreciate it. It just helps the show go up in the iTunes rankings, and that makes it more likely that someone else will discover it, just like you have. I'm also a poet, and you can find my poetry and also my book of poems at jasoncrane.org. In fact, uh, this is the month of April, and so there is Napo Rimo, which is less stupid than it sounds. It's National Poetry Writing Month. It's also... April is National Poetry Month and Jazz Appreciation Month and all that good stuff. Uh, so during this month, people, many people write a poem a day, and uh, that's one thing I'm doing. So if you go to jasoncrane.org, you can see those. As I'm recording this intro, I've successfully written one on the first day. So, so far, I've, I've completed 100% of the available writing tasks, and I'm feeling pretty good about it. What else? Uh, nothing. I'll just introduce you to the guest. Her name is Melissa Stiglianu, and if you have been seeing uh, vocal jazz at all in the New York area, you've probably seen her because she, uh, she performs a lot. She's had a residency for a number of years now at the 55 Bar. She's got a great new record out called Silent Movie, and I recently had the pleasure of speaking with her. We'll hear a track from that album, and then my conversation with vocalist Melissa Stiglianu.
0: Something in the way he moves Or looks my way or calls my name It seems to leave this troubled world behind And if I'm feeling down and blue Or troubled by some foolish game He always seems to make me change my mind and I feel fine anytime that he's around me now And he's around me now Almost all the time And if I'm well You can tell that he's been with me now He's been with me now Quite a long time And I feel fine Careening into places I should not let me go. He has the power. say or how he thinks where he's been
1: my guest is melissa Stilianu. her new cd on anzic records is called silent movie it's so great to have you here thanks for being here thank
2: you very much for coming over
1: so i have to say that this cd could have been 40 minutes of random traffic noise plus uh, hearts and Bones and something in the way she moves, and I would still love it because those are two of my favorite, favorite, favorite songs ever by two of my favorite writers ever. Wow. So I, I have a feeling that we start off already with something in common. And so I thought I might ask you to start by talking about. There's a, a beautiful mix of your own writing on here and writing by other people, both from what we might consider the jazz canon and from outside it. Maybe you can talk a little bit about how you selected repertoire which is really smart I think oh
2: thank you Um, well hearts and bones for example is something that um, Andy Kaufman my manager introduced me to actually just in the last couple years he said you should really get this album hearts and bones and I fell in love with the album and uh, especially that song and so that was um, the most probably the most recent of the covers and um the rest of the songs on the album I've been doing in my live show for quite a while and they've uh, been changing and evolving. Um some of the original songs actually have only come into their current um situation really in the last um last couple years and just before the recording. But it um it's definitely a document of what we've been doing live.
0: all the time and if I will you can tell that he's been with me he's been
1: is that how you often work by trying out material and then over the course of live shows kind of feel what works in the arrangements, what you have to go back to?
2: Yeah, that's how I've worked so far, yeah. Uh,
1: Can you talk about, uh, obviously, a theme that runs throughout this record, I think throughout your your performing career, is the idea of storytelling. Can you talk about why that's so important to you?
2: Yeah, um, I think it started when I was a kid. I've always been a a pretty romantic um, little kid, or I I mean – I am still a, a romantic little kid inside, <laughs> I suppose. Um, I studied acting and got into theater before I got into jazz. And I think that my interest in storytelling and my interest in um, characters, points of view, and a really um, kind of small, small-scale storytelling that I think really reveals a lot about the larger picture comes from my um, my interest in acting and my interest in theater. Um, and that's what I, I mean, I, everyone makes music that they like, I think. Um, and that's what I respond to really well in music as well.
1: Does the story itself in any particular song have to resonate with you personally for it to work? Or can you sing in other characters, so to speak? I mean, Hearts and Bones is a very specific story, for example, about kind of the... In some ways, the immigrant experience. In some ways, the new relationship. Uh, but I wonder if things have to actually have a personal connection with you.
2: That's a, yeah. I feel that way. I feel like I need to have some sort of resonance with the story to be able to um, to be able to deliver it honestly and to be able to get inside the character and hopefully get on stage and really feel like it is coming from me, almost as if I'm writing it as I'm singing it or experiencing it with every. Every breath and every thought—that's what I kind of go after um, in my performance and in my practice as a singer. Um, I can get into other characters. I had a really fun time for a couple of years singing James Taylor's tune "Mean Old Man." Right. <laughs> um, but uh, so I can I can jump into other characters, but it um, it has to have some kind of resonance with me.
1: From a a practice standpoint, is there a way that you you kind of put yourself in the mental space of each song, even in the moment of live performance?
2: Yeah, absolutely, and I really think that comes from my acting training. It was—it sort of seemed um, second nature to do that when I first started singing jazz, and um, was something that came more naturally to me, more easily to me than starting starting out improvising. Um, that uh, I felt less comfortable with from the beginning, and for good reason, because I started singing the music before I really knew what I was doing within it, <laughs> just you know using my ears and and um, getting a lot of great support from the people that I started playing with in Toronto. But getting into a character and getting up on stage and really centering myself in that uh, in that zone for that particular song was something that just seemed really natural. So I, I it's still very hard sometimes, and I go through a lot of um, changes with it. There have been a couple songs um, on the record in specific, I Still Miss Someone, is a tune that I really... Um, was singing from a certain place for uh, more than a year and then through working on it with Odette Lery, my producer, started to change the the place I was singing it from. Can you and, make that uh, more
1: concrete more specific?
2: yeah, sure. when I first started singing, I still miss someone. I was singing it in a slightly more declamatory style um, you know not in the same way you'd sing something like stormy weather but still i i felt coming from the character but it was a little bit larger mm. and then through talking about it with oded and working on it with him i realized that there was more nuance to be found if i came came at it from a quieter place and not always volume quieter but just more even more still and uh and that can be that can be tricky and it can be really hard and painful too to to go okay what is it that really drew me to this song and go back to for me as an actor um i like to you know if i can go back to that memory go back to that germ um, of truth in the song for me and sing it from there and that is sometimes painful um but it seems to it's changed the song for me in, in a really positive way, and I really like where um, where it's going for me now. And I got um, that one day that I tried that, the first time at 55 Bar, I got such an immediate reaction from people. And after the set, um, to the point where someone was like, what were you thinking about when you sang that song? I need wow. to know. And uh, I told her. And <laughs> At my door
0: are falling
1: You mentioned several times um, about your acting background, and you, you came to the singing of jazz you know, at, a, at a later age than many people start. You don't have the traditional background of, you know, I started playing clarinet in middle school, and then I went in the high school jazz band, and then I went to jazz school, and then here I am. Um, and you almost came to it accidentally, it sounds like, from uh, from what I've read about you. Can you talk a little bit about that?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I was always into jazz and always, list- always listening to it. I started to listen to jazz in grade nine. I suppose really consciously going out and buying um, tapes and, and whatnot, but didn't consider myself a musician so much until much later. And in terms of singing jazz, I did you know I did the jazz choir thing in high school, but I was a part of a group, and um, you know that was that felt really safe for me. So getting up on stage and doing it and being center stage and completely naked um, was really really frightening and exhilarating. And that, um, that was the, you know, that experience of being in conversation musically with people on stage in the moment and, uh, and being asked to really just be who you are and come at it from a really personal place, which is what I, how I feel about this music was the bug that bit me. And that happened in my second year of university. I was asked to sit in with a big band and sing, and I had no idea what I was doing. And I did my first gig and took a big slug of wine before I got on stage <laughs> and apparently from you know cuz it was at a bar that I ended up working at as a waitress shortly afterwards um people who knew me years afterwards came up to me and told me how awful I was that first gig but it uh you know it, it that didn't sink in um luckily I got enough um good feelings from it and uh and enough support from people around me that that was that first step led me to creating my own group and a couple of different bands, a swing band. And, and, uh, and so, yeah, that was that first step while I was in theater school, still, you know, doing Shakespeare and Sam Shepard and still not considering it my career. But over the course of time and through my set, my third year of university, I began to get gigs more and more frequently. And at that same time, had a bit of a crisis of confidence in my acting. And, um, so the singing just took over from there and that's, that's where I've been at ever since.
1: It's so interesting because, uh, you know, up to, up to fairly late in your education, it sounds like you had a particular life path, you know, more or less staked out at least for the, you know, the coming years, and then all of a sudden it took a completely different turn.
2: Yeah, I used to just, I used to inwardly scoff when they would say that at school. You know, so many of you think you're going to um, make it in this career, but you know whatever percentage, whatever tiny percentage are actually going to pursue it. And I was like, yeah, right. Not me. <laughs> I'm so, I was so driven and so passionate, so serious and such a good student, which was, you know, which is, doesn't necessarily mean that you're good as an artist, but sure. I was very, very committed. Um, So it really, it surprised me as well.
1: So as you began to get more serious about the craft of singing well, how did how did you kind of add to your skill set? Besides, I mean, performing obviously is the best way to do that. But did you did you seek out other people to take lessons from? Did you put yourself in kind of new and challenging situations? Can you talk about how you added to your your skill set?
2: The first thing I did was surround myself with really good musicians, um, which I that's just my rule <laughs> going forward. That's someone told me once that's how you get better is to play with people who are way better than you. And I really lucked out. It was in um, ninety seven that I started singing and getting paid for it. So I consider that the beginning of my career and just doing little gigs here and there, little restaurant gigs, a couple little tiny festivals in Ontario. The people that I began playing with back in 97 had all been playing for many, many years, 20, 30 years, some of them. I I just got hooked into this crowd of people that were... Uh, the go-to folks in Toronto when acts from all around the world would come in to play places like the Colonial Tavern. Um, so I was playing with Richard Whiteman and Steve Wallace and John Sumner and these guys that are still giants in the scene. And they really gave me a lot of support, a lot of encouragement. And- Why do you
1: think they did that? That's often a real challenge for a young musician, particularly a young vocalist who, you know, there's so much stigma attached to vocalists and what they're going to bring to the table. H- how do you think that, that entree happened?
2: I don't know, and I was so ignorant of the stigma you're talking about that I didn't know it was there. I just, these were these really nice guys who liked the way I sang and kept encouraging me and doing gigs with me for not very much money and doing f- rehearsals and, um you know, there was, there was a big circle of people who fit that same description in Toronto who really taught me jazz. And um at that same time, after starting to play some gigs, I got a job as a waitress at the Rex Hotel, which is Toronto's now, Toronto's pretty much only jazz club. Yeah. Um, So these guys were playing there frequently, and I'd be waitressing and learning so much repertoire and learning so much about the craft, um, learning about interacting with the audience, just, you know, really getting a good education from that point of view. And then, you know, a couple times a week, sometimes doing a gig. Here and there with these same guys. So I, I don't know why, but I'm I really count myself lucky that they uh, they kind of took me under their wing. Um, and then it was a couple years later that I actually realized what I didn't know. So I was just having a great time singing the melody and uh, sometimes improvising a little bit, especially in codas and, and outros and stuff, and where I, I felt a little um, starting to feel more comfortable with that. But it wasn't until the early 2000s that I realized, oh my God, there's, there's so much more to this. And I started to feel self-conscious and started to look for opportunities to actually work on this because there are all these kids coming out of school who had all these skills I just, I felt like I didn't have. So I took some arranging classes, some theory classes, um, continued to work with these wonderful musicians and fell in with another group of people who became my Core band for five or six years and uh, Kim Ratcliffe is a guitar player that I wrote with a lot on my last record we played for many years and he also um, really kind of very very gently um, and from a a very generous place helped me become a better musician Um, not through formal lessons but just um, you know doing the writing that we did together and the playing that we did together he and Artie Roth were kind of my next teachers in that next phase and the next jump, uh, which was very scary and very important, was going to Banff in 2003, and that was the first year that we tell people what Banff is. Just oh, yeah, sure. Um, Banff is um, is an arts center and also a conference center in Banff, Alberta, and. For three weeks in May every year, there is a, a jazz workshop. Although, the particular year that I started, they changed the name from the jazz workshop to uh, the workshop for jazz and creative music or something a little more open ended. And that was the first year that Dave Douglas took over from. Oh, now it's eluding me. Uh, I can't remember who yeah, was doing it for Dave. I can't remember Dave. either who was doing it for Dave, mm-hmm. which I should know He's as well right as my through. own name. Oh, yeah. But it was an important year because they decided that you're not to have a vocal faculty member, and they had historically had one every year, and they had singers there. Um, this year they didn't, that year, 2003, and um, Michael Bates, who's a really good friend of mine, and also really important in why I moved to New York, because I, I spent some time visiting him down here, and that was how I fell in love with New York, really, it was, a, it was a big part of that. Um, I think Michael had a hand and he was helping Dave with the program, administer the program. I think Michael, because he knew me, we'd played together back in my infancy, my jazz infancy. He had a hand in kind of given Dave the nudge and saying, it's okay. She'll be okay. She'll be able to hang because they weren't going to, you know, they weren't going to have, I don't think they were going to have vocalists that mm. year. That's at least my understanding. So I was the only vocalist and there were 63 musicians from around the world, instrumentalists. And, uh, for that three weeks, um, I just threw myself into everything I could. And the first ensemble I got into was uh, John Zorn's Cobra Game Ensemble. So for an entire week, for two or three hours a day, I was uh, amongst 16 other instrumentalists playing this crazy game and really just exploring with my voice in a way I'd never done before.
1: Um, and I just want to make sure the listeners understand that it's it's a long way from singing standards to playing with John Zorn's Cobra game. I mean, those are – I'm not sure there's a spectrum, but if there is, those are at the other ends of it, which is really fascinating. I mean, that's – I can't imagine there was all that much in your past musically that prepared you for that moment.
2: There was nothing musically that prepared me. The only thing that enabled me to to get in there and do that was something, I think, from – something probably my mom instilled me with in terms of at the even though I'm very self-deprecating and whatnot I think she taught me and my siblings that we were all creative beings and had something worthy to give and that so that's never really at the root of it been um, in doubt for me so I had that that I could draw upon and then my acting training and doing improvisation and acting and I think that working with sound um, as we did a little bit in theater school was helpful. So mm-hmm. I just, as I said to Dave one day, I said, you know, the only thing I, I was doing was just trying to put myself in a child in a child's play place and just play, and um, and I was really scared and not sure if it. I mean, I thought it sounded awful. People came up to me afterwards and were very complimentary and that helped, but it was just, I just had no reference point for it. So the week went on and I felt more and more comfortable with it. And throughout the rest of the workshop, I kept being asked to do more and more of this kind of work. And it was thrilling. I did uh, some duo playing with Ruben Ratting, who was also at the workshop that year. Who's a wonderful bass player based here in New York. Um, and he was very supportive and encouraging, gave me some, some ideas, some things to think about. Um han bennick came in uh, oh no that was the other year uh, there are so many incredible faculty members there but i did a lot of uh, really fun oh there was that time louis sclavis um came over from france and he's um he's a bass clarinet player um very new music um very you know open individual and we would do these master classes and usually in a master class there'd be an opportunity for one or two people to get up on stage and do something with with the person speaking or giving the lecture and so lewis and i did you know what seemed like a 15 minute improvisation one day and uh, it was really a it was like this other bug that bit me at that point so um i did a lot of that in banff and that really um really changed opened up my mind quite a bit and gave me the idea that there was there was a lot more out there that I could do with my voice as well and really kind of put the put the germ uh, I keep talking about like bugs and germs
1: it's, <laughs> no, no, it's, no, all, right. it's all very organic
2: <laughs> yes yes um it gave me the idea that new york was was a place where I would meet a lot more people who were interested in this kind of thing and um, you know because there were a lot of New York musicians there both on faculty and and uh, amongst the students so that really started that process in 2003 and 2004.
0: Heart is aching. Smile.
1: Listening to Silent Movie, are there are there places where you would think we can pick up this other side of your personality, or are there even ways that you felt comfortable approaching the music that you might not have? Were you not also singing, you know, kind of freer, more experimental things throughout your life?
2: I've thought about that a lot. Um, I think that I think that no, you won't hear. The stuff I was doing in the in the real free improvisation in Banff and then a little bit, you know, here and there, and, and more in Toronto after Banff too. So much on this record, or even on on Sliding Down. But it did change my approach to improvisation um, from thinking that I needed to model it after a little more of a traditional scatting vocabulary um, and those kind of syllables to to opening it up to include other sounds. So mm-hmm. I'm my ear is open to that. I don't think I pulled on that so much on this record, but it's uh, it's something that I now appreciate much more than I I mean before I just thought that was crazy and it just really had no no way of appreciating it. And that's something that I just realized in the last couple of years because of my um, my training with music together, which is the 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 program that I teach weekly to the little little itty bitty ones. This idea that research shows that our brains are always plastic and malleable, even as we get older and much more so as we're young, but that exposure to music can actually have the effect of helping you appreciate it. You wouldn't appreciate it versus like it, like, you know, there's that argument too. But I went from being someone who said, oh, I don't like that to realizing, well, I haven't listened to that enough yet to know whether I like it. And I used to be someone who said, I can't do that. You know, I can't sing that really incredibly difficult line to being someone who says, okay, it would have been easier for me if I'd started learning this kind of stuff when I was 20. (laughs) But at 35, I can do anything, you know, I may not excel at it, but I can, I can't, I've I've taken that excuse off the table. Mm. And, um, And that's been really frightening and wonderful.
1: I love that. Uh, as people throughout this interview are hearing tracks, um, from the new record that you also spend your time doing things like singing Mahavishnu orchestra music. Mm-hmm. Um, can you talk about how that, that came about?
2: Yeah. Um, it's all thanks to Zach Brock, who's a wonderful violin player based in New York now, but he's, he's from Kentucky. And I met him at Banff in 2004. Uh, or was it 2003? I can't remember. Zach, um, And I have been in contact and I sang on one of his records. His, his record actually was the first one I traveled to another city to go and record. It was such a big deal. Wow. It was very exciting. (laughs) Went to Chicago and then, uh, we sang at the Green Mill. Oh. Which, you know, I was a huge, I mean, I am a huge Kurt Elling fan. I had a huge crush on him, uh, at that time. And I was so thrilled to be like, we were kind of filling in for him that night. So I got to, you know, absorb some Kurt Elling vibe. Um, so Zach, Has been a member, had been a member of the Mahavishnu Project with Greg Bendy, and that's his project for many years. And all of a sudden, uh, this beautiful July day, I got a call from Zach saying they needed a sub for this gig in three days' time, and could I do it? And I just said yes. And then I, uh, I, and actually, I think I got the music maybe that day or the next day. And is it's insane? It's it's kind of insane. It's uh, it's incredibly rangy. Some of these pieces, I think, did we do. Resolution. Resolution ends on a high C sharp, which is not technically in my range. It's <laughs> I don't Love quite. That. It's not I
1: technically don't, in don't my range. not have
2: that. I have it. I have it at the you know maybe at the end of the night, and I I certainly don't hang on it as long as the rest of the band. But it's you know it's almost there. But um, but anyway, that's not actually the most difficult thing about it. It's it's very technical rhythmically, and, and um, the lines are very are very intricate. And a lot of them are, which is helpful and also difficult, a lot of them are doubled with, um, with saxophone or with flute. Um, Prameek Russell Tubbs was doing the gig at that point. So I was blending with saxophone and I was blending with iwi and I was blending with some kind of wooden flute. Um, and, uh, it was really, really incredible. Um,
1: and so, had you been familiar already with John McLaughlin's Mahavishnu music?
2: Absolutely not. No. I have a lot of gaps in my yeah, in my too. listening history, and that was a big one i I didn't know a thing about it. I love it now um and i'm uh, I'm really into it. and so you know checking it out more now um and in the I mean it, that was two thousand and seven, so it was a pretty quick, abrupt you know introduction into it. and uh, so that you had
1: three sp- days to prepare, yeah three I mean, that's days, not a lot of time
2: no rehearsal. <laughs> sound check was the rehearsal. Um, and adrenaline really helped out that day, you know, (laughs) and the, and they were recording it. So that's really fun. And I was using in-ear monitors for the first time because it's so loud. Like, I mean, Greg had the plexiglass in front of the drums and the string section had, had to be protected. Um, and everybody's, you know, I mean, it's, it's loud for a reason and I think it's wonderful and I don't, I don't think anyone's hearing was hurt that night. I hope not, (laughs) but it was really tricky to, to do that, um and thrilling and i've been challenged almost at that level you know with every gig you know greg's always throwing new music at us too so um yeah it's really it's really really hard but it's so worth it i love it and it's different it's a different i mean i don't use a different technique to sing Hmm. that music i i think i still sound like me it's a, a lot of it is wordless and there's um there's a lot of improvisation there's a lot of odd meters there's a lot of really odd meters stretching out over huge expanses of time and everyone's playing a different um, subdivision and it's like I just have to get into this meditative mode to be able to keep my spot it's really really tricky much different than than playing over the form of a standard or something sure but, but uh, really fun to stretch those muscles out too
0: go down, a chance a glance sideways, just to make sure you're still here. Can't recall the last time you and I were close together, it seems like Watching some stranger story unfold. All the things I want to say slip away in the silence, and the movie plays.
1: I want to ask you There's, I feel like I'm jumping around a little bit without uh, a lot of me. rhyme or reason. Um, so there's a few a few other things I, I want to make sure I ask you about, including coming up in this interview, we're going to talk about your 55 bar residency uh, and the original music on this record. But I actually want to go back t- um, to talk about your mom for a second, who I had not intended to ask you about until you mentioned her and that idea of instilling in you that you and your siblings were all creative beings. Was she an artist also? Is that why she thought that way? Or can you talk about where that came from? Yeah,
2: um, she is an artist. She doesn't, I mean, she actually did a beautiful...
1: I um, thought she was in the other room, the way
2: you were looking. Yeah, no, I'm looking at at the painting that she gave me. It's not a painting. It was that thing when it's like, um, you etch something and then you roll ink over it.
1: (laughs) Maybe a wood carving? Yeah,
2: something like that. (laughs) Um, so yeah, she's an artist at heart and, uh someone who has um a lot of openness and a lot of far-reaching interests and um that was you know there were some wonderful things that came out of that and some you know we I I had a I had a very interesting childhood um but I really feel like I got this this confidence in my ability to be a creative positive individual from her and um She's certainly been, you know, one of the most encouraging people in my life, as far as my art is concerned, and just everything. Just so supportive. Um, so I think I got that, and, I, you know, I, when I was growing up, I wanted to be a teacher. I wanted to be a, a, a world peace-providing um, diplomat. I just I came up with this, this idea that I was going to, I don't know, based on nothing except that I'm a libra and the people my parents used to always tell me I was such a diplomat and whatever but um I wanted to do a lot of different things and then fell into this acting thing um but I could have gone a lot of different ways I also w- was involved in theater and wanted to maybe be a producer or a director and you know off stage kind of role but uh, myself and my siblings all ended up being in the creative arts. My brother is a really fantastic photographer, and my sister is an artist with uh, scissors. <laughs> She's a wonderful hairstylist and colorist and uh, entrepreneur. And uh, we all just, you know, completely in business for ourselves and taking tons of risks. And I think that that is because of her. You know, she she taught us that it's, it's a good thing to take risks and to put yourself out there.
1: Well, that's a pretty amazing legacy. Yeah, well, that's yeah. really great. Um, do you think at this point that you might ever be able to factor the the theater back in in a more explicit way to your to your career?
2: Hmm. I I do I have a secret hope that I could. Um, I just was at uh, a friend's play the other day, um, a musical actually called the the deepest play ever, the catharsis of pathos. <laughs> <laughs> that's the full title. <laughs> Wonderful play. And, um, and when I see people on stage live, I do get that feeling like, oh, I missed that. But I'm still not sure that I could, could really hang. And I, and so many years have elapsed. Um, I, I think that someday I could. I mean, when I was in theater school, they kept telling me, you know, you're going to grow into your roles because I was, you know, 18 when I started theater school and I looked 35 already. I mean, not like, wrinkles and stuff. I just, I would always be given the, the, the older parts. And, um, and, you know, on the other, the girls who left theater school and had careers immediately tended to be the ones who could play 16 at 20. And, you know, um, so they, they gave, they put that idea in my head that like, yours will be something that will start later. I don't know. One teacher said that, but it stuck with me. And in a way that sort of gives me some hope like you know maybe I'll go back to it at some point um, it's I'm skipping around a little bit too because I've had a little too much caffeine this morning but <laughs> it's something about about this career of music and jazz in particular that really attracted me was its difference from acting or the acting scene as I experienced it when I was in school and just out of school in that it's a really long road that you can keep on. And not be, you know, pushed to the side because you suddenly don't look like you can play a certain age or you don't look a certain way or for whatever reason. Um, of course, you know, you, there's a lot of things that are based on the external, but it just seemed like something that you could just keep growing with for the rest of your life and it is. I mean that that has been my experience with it. I'm looking forward to getting better and better and never, you know, still singing when I'm when I'm, you know, Sheila Jordan's age, hopefully. So yeah. so that's that's um that's really heartening.
1: You've had a, a luxury in New York that a lot of people don't get, which is that you've had a residency uh for years at the fifty five bar. And a residency at any place is hard to come by. And I wonder what effect that's had on your ability to um develop your craft.
2: Huge! It's been huge. I, um, I think I mentioned the Rex Hotel, which is where I played um, in Toronto most frequently. And actually, I played there every Friday for five years. Wow! So I had I had some experience before moving here of the magic that can happen with that um, coming back to something repeatedly, um, or throwing something brand new into the mix and just seeing how that plays out on stage and then with the audience and um, it being such a wonderful way for me particularly to to grow my craft and to work on the repertoire so you know when I came to New York I hit the ground running and got tons of gigs I mean little gigs here and there and a couple of big gigs and it was really nice but I didn't have a home I loved 55 bar from the minute I stepped into the place and it felt like my Rex you know felt like my Rex hotel so um, it's actually due to Amy Cervini, who's a great friend of mine, an amazing singer and a good friend of yours, too. Mm-hmm. Um, she introduced me to Scott after one of her gigs and said, hey, you know, you should check Melissa out. And he said "He said to Amy, is she any good? And Amy said, yeah, she's really good. So that was it. I gave him my CD and um, and we started it up. And it, it's been, I think it's been about three years, the, the third Wednesday of every month. So it's been a big factor in developing this repertoire and in finding... Um, the group of individuals that can help me make that what I want it to be musically,
1: too. Which is a nice segue to having you tell us who's on this record with you. It's a heck of a cast.
2: Yeah, thank you. I'm really, really proud to have these guys on my record. Uh, My husband, Jamie Reynolds, on piano, uh, with whom I write uh, frequently now, too. And Gary Wong on bass, who is probably one of the first bass players I played with here in New York. Um, on a, a gig at Bar Next Door with Gary and Ben Monder. <laughs> it was awesome. It was wow. so great. Um, so yeah, I've been playing with Gary since, I think, since 2006, a long time. So those are the two longest um, band members. And Pete McCann, I started playing with probably three years ago, maybe a bit longer. Um, such an incredible guitarist and such a great individual and um, really, really generous no matter how many times i tell him not to he gets to the gig early and sets up the drums for whoever the drummer is and i can't stop him yeah <laughs> just he's just too good
1: and he can play anything yes it's kind of insane
2: yeah absolutely the, the drum thing that's sweet but it's really it really is all about his playing yeah. and what he brings to the music and he can do anything um i mean he was in the My vishnu project before um years before they they asked me to be a part of it and is uh there's this whole other side of him that um, that I've seen on his gigs and that he brings to my gigs, um, but he's, he's just got so many sides.
0: Mm.
2: Yeah, and all coming from this totally sweet, generous, open place. Um, Rodney Green I started playing with um, probably four years ago, so he's the drummer on the gig, and that's the core group. And then James Ship on percussion on a couple of tracks, and he I also met through people like Joe Lowry and, uh, and through Amy and, and hanging out at 55 Bar. A wonderful addition, really um, brings some real um, sensitive, nuanced stuff to the songs, that these, these layers that I just adore.
1: And I'll just mention for listeners that James has been on the show, so if you look in the archives, you'll find him. And actually, I think it's the only show we ever recorded in a van. Ooh. There you James's go in a van, a James's, James's van, van, outside a bar, an Irish pub. Mm. We were <laughs> in oh, between awesome. on a set break while he was playing inside with a bunch of Irish musicians. We oh. Went out to the van, and recorded his interview. So not to, I don't want to take oh, away that's from this okay. moment, but that's there you so go. Cool. I love, I love
2: trivia, Irish thing. I'm, I'm a little bit Irish myself, nice. actually, just a tiny bit. Really into that music.
1: Stilliano, I kind of guessed. Yes, yeah, yeah absolutely,
2: yeah. yeah. And you look at me and you just, you know, yeah, you scream Irish, you scream Irish. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so yeah, James is on the record, Anat Cohen, mm.
0: um,
2: who I met years ago, um, checking out her group, the Shoro Ensemble at Jules, is it called Jules Cafe in the village, in the East Village there? And then, um, I worked actually for Anzac Records for a little bit of time, um, years ago, doing some administrative stuff and got to know Anat that way and became friends with her. And then, you know, the minute I could, pulled her in on this and she's been a wonderful addition to it as well. And then Yoed Nir who I discovered through Oded. So Oded was producing the record and he said, you know, I think I have always wanted to have cello on this. I had cello on my last record as well. So he re- he introduced me to Yoed.
1: That's great. We're being uh, joined by a chainsaw, which is not actually something you often hear in New York unless they're cutting up a body, but I'm going to assume that yeah, they're probably Brooklyn, yeah, taking you know? down a tree. Um so I guess maybe finally, but we'll see. Uh, I wanted to ask about the original music on the record, which, I mean, has been a part of what you've done uh, for years now. But can you talk about the the tunes on here that are your own compositions, lyrically or otherwise?
2: Yeah, absolutely. There's My last record, Sliding Down, had many more original compositions on it. And I recorded that the month before I moved to New York. Mm. Um, and then I moved here and... Um, By the way, I moved to New York actually to study with specific people and I moved here on a Canada Council grant. Thank you, Canada. (laughs) Um, to. Yeah, uh, we have tons
1: of those in the U.S. too. No, we don't have any of those in the U.S. at all.
2: Um, so that was an, there was an interesting change in my life between recording sliding down and moving here and a real, um, I had just done band, and I wasn't sure what I was going to focus on. So it took me a long time to come up with what I wanted to do and find, see that before me. And these songs, actually, First Impressions and Hearing Your Voice, actually went through a lot of changes as well during that time. Hearing Your Voice is Angelicus by Vince Mendoza. That's the instrumental title, and it's a gorgeous song that I've, I had been singing for years and years as an instrumental, just wordless mm. vocalese and uh, really loving. And then a lyric started to come to me, and, um, and then I sent it to Vince, and it turned out that He while he enjoyed it, it turned out I had learned his song incorrectly so he had to send me his score, I had to relearn it, I had to rewrite the chart (laughs) and I ended up rewriting the lyric as well and uh, we had a lovely correspondence, he actually suggested the title Hearing Your Voice for the song, which is very sweet because I was a little bit at a loss for what to call it Hearing your voice now
0: On this morning So unexpected.
2: So that uh, that and first impressions also a song that I started playing probably in, w- again with uh, without lyrics around 2005 or so uh, shortly after Banff and exploring a you know at the same time a sort of a different way of singing a different way of approaching the music like I was saying that the improvisation and my approach to it changed post Banff um, you don't hear all the wacky stuff that I did in Cobra but. Um, so that one took a long time, and, and I went through a couple of different lyrics for that one as well before I came to something that I liked. And in both instances, I think I, I brought them to my therapist, the lyrics, and uh, talked about them with her, and changed them from. Changed them from third person to first person, and re-revise them to make them a little more honest and even at the you know even though it was more difficult for mm-hmm. me because the um hearing your voice in particular is a very is a very personal comes from a very personal story. So that was that was really interesting. There was a lot of um soul searching happening in between Sliding Down and Silent Movie and uh as I said they just kind of came into their own being as they are on the record, really in the last um, couple of years, and with definitely with the help of Jamie. And then Silent Movie, we wrote together. It was, um, I think it's yeah, the first song that Jamie and I wrote together, really working on the melody and the chord changes, and he he had some input on in the lyrics as well, as a, as a couple so to speak. So that was um, that was very exciting, and we're we've written another song together since then, and we're continuing that collaboration. Oh,
1: that's exciting can you talk about uh upcoming shows a particular cd release uh, show for this album yes i can
2: um tuesday april 3rd i'll be back at jazz standard which is phenomenal it's one of my favorite places in new york to hear music and i uh, i played there in 2007 and, and enjoyed it so much and have been waiting and waiting and waiting to to uh to to get back in there with the right the right thing and this is definitely the right way to go back there i think so that's going to be 7.30 and 9.30 show, and um, Tuesday, April 3rd. And then following that, I'm going to Toronto to do my Toronto CD release at the Rex Hotel, Saturday, April 7th. After that, I have a few things in June. Um, Not going to be doing my regular gig at 55 Bar for a little while, just sort of wanted to leave some space surrounding those gigs. But I have some fun stuff coming up in May. I'm doing a, a big band gig with Matt Holman which is essentially uh, I'm kind of filling in for, like standing in for, um, oh my goodness, her name. Oh, Anne Hampton Calloway. Oh, wow. So she's doing this gig with this big band that Matt is leading. And um, in order for them to, to have a chance to, you know, run through the tunes, they're doing a gig at the garage on May 15th, and I'm going to get to sing her charts which is really exciting. So uh, I love that. I mean, as I mentioned, my first gig was with a big band, and it wasn't like a swing dance big band, but that actually is a huge, you know, uh, something that I love. Um, I just love singing old tunes. I mean, I, I did this really fun thing at Carnegie Hall in 2008 um, where we did a, a tribute to Benny Goodman on the 70th anniversary of that concert. Right. And um, – you know, that was pretty surreal because it was me in Carnegie Hall backed by a symphony pops orchestra and uh, and a few friends who had started the project came down from New York and so there's these you know these people that I know from the beginning of my career on stage with me and we're we're playing together and I'm singing you know and the angels sing and um, after you've gone and just you know these incredible old tunes so it's um I'm feeling really lucky right now that I get to do a lot of uh my own music which I feel very passionately about and still get to keep my keep my finger in the um habit let's let's not use that one. Um <laughs> keep myself connected to the music sure. that really got me inspired to to become a jazz singer in the beginning which is that that older stuff, Mm. you know, which I, I love. And I, I definitely throw some of that into my live shows as well. And on record, as you can see. Yeah. Oh, and I just wanted to mention that at the gig on uh, April 3rd at jazz standard, it's going to be James ship, and Jamie Reynolds, and Pete McCann, and Gary Wong, and Mark Ferber's going to be on drums with us. And then uh, we've got Anat Cohen as well, and uh, Gene Burton Burtensini will be joining us. And uh, I'll be playing a few tunes with Gene, and hopefully um, what I'd love to do is actually do a record with Gene at some point. Um, haven't talked to him about it yet, but I think he might be amenable.
1: <laughs> uh, can you also mention the Jazz Vespers that you're involved in?
2: Yes, um, I met Ike Sturm just in the first couple years of living here, probably around 2007 or so, and started to um, perform at Jazz Vespers at St. Peter's Church, and that's the jazz church here in New York. Um, he's the, the director of the jazz ministry there and books the bands and um, was really enjoying being a part of the service, um, performing tunes and then also, you know, um sometimes you know leading a hymn or helping out in some other way and there was that element and then a few years later Ike formed a group um, that includes myself and Shanda Rule on voice and his wife Misty Sturm on voice, Chris Dingman on vibes, Jesse Lewis on guitar and Jared Schoenig on drums and uh, And the group of us perform Ike's original settings of a lot of this sacred music, some of it with words and some without, um, a lot of improvisation involved and, um, and uh, really kind of a thrilling musical experience and then we do that once a month at st. Peter's I think it's the first Sunday of every month we do that in addition I get to uh, to go in and be the quote unquote hymn leader a couple times a month which means that I get to sit in with whoever he's booked to do the jazz Vespers and as you know that can be you know these huge names so I've had the experience of um, Playing with and in some in some cases actually in the last couple of years, completely improvising a free musical exploration of the psalm with people like Gary Versace and uh, Jeff Kieser and um, uh, most recently last weekend Steve Cardinus and Ben Allison and Rudy Royston. So um, it's been a really incredible experience for me to be a part of that and feel like I've got that musical community and that um, beautiful music of Ike's to sing, which is really in my you know it's really in my ballpark do people say that no okay sounds good (laughs) i'm not a baseball person as you can tell but then to have that opportunity to go in once a week and you know get up there and be able to create some music and oftentimes what i'm doing with the psalm is uh in order to get the congregation involved i look at it and pick out a couple of phrases that i think are particularly singable and in the moment i'll just say to the band okay let's let's start in d and D major and let's see what happens. Um, I try to compose on the spot a refrain that the congregation can sing back to us at some point that I, you know, when I cue them within the psalm and the rest of the psalm is completely improvised. I'm taking ideas from the band. I'm changing keys willy nilly and just, you know, going all over the place. Sometimes we just do it completely open or often we'll create something that really sounds like a tune and people are like, who wrote that tune? And I'm like, well it doesn't exist it's gone I don't remember <laughs> um, so that's a new thing that through Ike I've begun to do and has really had a big effect on me musically as well as being um, just a great opportunity to get to meet and sing with these people and introduce myself to them in that way
1: which is pretty sweet. My guest is Melissa stiliano the new CD is Silent Movie on Anzac Records it's been such a pleasure to talk to you thanks for coming on the show.
2: My pleasure thank you
0: Every night you come to see me, words and wine flow easily. Laughter fills the room, but not tonight. Now the wine is too thick, and the words are too thick. Bye.
1: That's music from Silent Movie, the new album by Melissa Stilianu. I'm Jason Crane. This is the Jazz Session, sponsored by Matt Rock, Murat Verdi, and Nicholas Payton. Don't forget to become a member. It's time. You you, You know it's time, right? If you've listened to this show, you've listened to multiple episodes, you recommended it to friends, it's now time to support it with your cash money. So please do become a member. You can do it for as little as $10 a month. At the Jazz Session slash join. And of course, keep the music alive by getting out there and supporting live jazz whenever and wherever you can. And then come back next month for another conversation. Did I just say next month? <laughs> yes, please skip all the rest of the shows in April. That is my suggestion to you. Just listen to this one and don't come back whatever you do. And please don't play this for your children. Come back next time is what I meant for another conversation probably more coherent than this outro has been about jazz on the jazz session.
0: Bye. Bye. Bye.
1: Bye.